The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good morning. My name is Darren Smith. It's good to have you with us this morning as we are uh, recording this. Our our weather outside is uh, uh, quite frightful, I think, as the old uh, Christmas song says. And uh, it's good to be with you, many of you watching this from home today. We appreciate your time in in joining us. We are from Tower View Baptist Church, towerviewkc.com. My name is Darren Smith. On behalf of Nelson, our pastor, associate pastor, Craig, our music uh, leader, and Judy on our staff in the office, and all our members, thank you for joining us. If you're new to us, we especially want to invite you to our website. Drop us a note or drop us a message here. We'd love to contact you and get to know you and how we can serve and pray for you as well. If you're not a Christian, especially welcome. We will be sharing about the good news of Christ today at some point, so please listen for that. But this morning, we are in our seventh installment. It's hard to believe our seventh installment of the study of Nehemiah. We have entitled The Story of New Beginnings, The Story of New Beginnings. And we'll be doing two chapters today, primarily focusing on Nehemiah 6, and we'll be reading Nehemiah 6 and some of 7, but we will not go in great detail chapter 7. But let's start in the uh, Bible with God's Word. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a wives' tale. This isn't just some fictitious story. This is God's real work among real people a long time ago, yes, but this is God's Word for us, inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient as it is. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Hear God's Word this morning. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I, this is Nehemiah speaking, Nehemiah 6.1, I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plains of Ono, for they intended to do me harm. And verse 3, I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them the same way, in the same manner. And in the same way, Sanballat, verse 5, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, quote, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and that is, according to these reports, you wish to become the king, their king. And you, verse 7, have also sent a prophets to proclaim that concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together, end quote. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. Four, verse 9, they're all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I, again, Nehemiah speaking, verse 10, went into the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah, son of Meshishetabel, who was con- uh, confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, 
Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go into the temple and, 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 and go in the temple, and I will not go in. I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, verse 13, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they gave me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to the things that they did, and to the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So verse 15, the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, verse 17, in the, the days the nobles Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had to set up the doors, and the gatekeepers and singers and Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I, verse 3, chapter 7, said to them, Let, us not, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors." Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at the guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. For the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. May God bless the reading of his word, the inspired and errant word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but his word does indeed stand forever. Let's pray together, and we will get into the sermon with part seven, a story of new beginnings. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time. Father, the, once again, your providential faithfulness to your people in the midst of attacks and threats and taunts and persecution. Father, you are the amazing God. And Father, as we look at this, may we see this with eyes, not just historically, but may we see these with eyes of faith that you are still doing that same work today. You are still protecting us from the evil one. You are still faithful to the cause. You are still advancing your kingdom, even despite numerous uh, fronts of opposition, both seen and unseen. Father, thank you. Give us wisdom now, we pray. Move me out of the way. May your spirit speak, especially to those among us without Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a few years ago, but in 1861, there were two companies that got contracts from the federal government to pay for them to do what many thought was an impossible task, if not close to it. That was to make the Transcontinental Railroad. There was a Central Pacific Line based in Sacramento and the Union Pacific Line somewhere between Iowa and Nebraska. The Civil War postponed most of the work, but in 1865, at the close of the war, the project began in May of that year. And in 1869, some eight years after the vision of having a transcontinental railroad, the two lines, the Central Pacific and the Union Pacific, met each other and at Promissory Point drove in the last nail, which was a golden spike 
to link them together. This was a huge task that changed the landscape of America. What used to take months, maybe six to eight months, and cost thousands of dollars only for the rich, if you survived the trip at all, going across from the eastern seaboard through the rugged wilderness to the west coast, now would only take about two weeks and cost about $100. It was accessible. But it brought together a nation that was divided by war and gave them something to celebrate after the Civil War. And it opened up the whole interior of the U.S. Towns, of course, popped up everywhere, and, and, and places we know today were a result of what happened back then. Friends, that transcontinental railroad, which was impossible, if not impossible, was something similar to Nehemiah. Because he's been through conflict. There's been a lack of hope. There's been discouragement. There's been division. And, and there's also been lots of momentum going forward. And it's required hard labor. It's required planning. It's required, in simple terms, putting out relational fires, as we've seen the last couple of weeks. And all that it did to make what was happening uh, in Nehemiah's day go forth. And it's a reminder to us from 2 Thessalonians 3.13, where Paul says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Nehemiah tells us in Nehemiah 6.1 that I built the wall and there was no breach left in it. What was once thought impossible was now there. He had to secure the resources, he had to unite the people, and he had to defend the people from the enemies. Again, by threat of verbal threat, but also the physical uh, threat of their lives if they went forward. And chapter 6 verse 15 tells us that it took about 52 days for this hard, glorious work to be fulfilled. In Nehemiah 1, we were told when Nehemiah was in Susa, the, the citadel of, of Persia, the capital city, it was in the month of Nisan, maybe about mid-March to mid-April in our calendar time. But here, he finished it, according to verse 15, in the month of Elul, about mid-September or early October. So the project took about six to seven months, to give or take a few days. The war was done. The, the wall was now built, but the fight the enemies around them, the fight was not over. In fact, Nehemiah 6.1 says they didn't cease the attacks. They knew and heard the wall was done. And you think that would silence them like a, like a, a sports figure who goes into the visiting team's home arena and, and, and wins the big game. It silences all the crowd. But that's not what happened. They, they upped their game. They renewed their attacks. And they were as persistent as a child trying to get their mother or daddy's attention. But friend, I want to remind you this morning on these cold days that we're living in, especially in America, you may be watching somewhere warm, and God bless you for that, but I want to remind you of this truth. Christ has won the war. The demons know they have lost, and Jesus reigns, but they, know, they want to trip anyone who loves Christ up as often as they can. And demons, especially if you remember the Gospels where they were the legion of demons, said to Jesus, what do you have to do with us, son of the most high Jesus? And so, friends, the central lie of Satan to all of God's suffering children in all times when God is moving and changing and, and saving people and uniting the people of God is this, is where is your God now? Well, where's your God when times are hard? And friends, the question is, who are you listening to when the pain is too painful? And how do we respond in times like these, like Nehemiah's, in a way that honors God? The big idea today, the simple summary of the sermon, is we are not to ever underestimate the spiritual warfare and the mischievous work of our enemy to keep us from gathered worship. We should not be surprised at conflicts, at warfares or assaults, because Satan 
and all those with him hate the gospel, that Jesus loved you, died for you, rose again for you, they don't stop. That's why Paul told us to fight the good fight of faith. Stand fast. And so in Nehemiah 6 and 7, we're going to see three reminders of how we are to engage in the spiritual battles as Christians against things seen and against things unseen. Remember Ephesians 6. We fight not against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and things that are unseen. Paul, or, or, Paul tells us that, but Nehemiah here, by his actions, reminds us to remain vigilant. He reminds us to remain faithful, and he reminds us, thirdly, to remain focused on what really matters. Let's start with that first one of the three reminders of how we are to engage spiritual battles is to remain vigilant, to remain vigilant. And you notice here that they pr propose a summit. You see this in the opening part of verses 1 and 2, that Sanballat and Tobiah, these leaders of areas around, now say, come on down, and, and let's have a summit. And it's an English thing, but I was joking with Pastor Nelson about this, but it's in the plains of, oh, no. It's almost like God told him, oh, no, don't go there. That's, that's a bad joke, but you get the point. The plains of, oh, no, were like 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And, and, and Nehemiah is wise to know what they're up to. Uh, he, 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 they could kill him. He's far away from anything secure that he knows in that area. Or while he's out doing that, they could attack the city and take the city back in the name of the Persian king and incite rebellion against Nehemiah. So he says, no, I'm not going to meet you there. He's remaining vigilant. And then they send a message to him, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but four times they send a message to him. It's like a kid asking the same question over and over and over. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And their persistence and insistence doesn't sway Nehemiah. He remains vigilant. And then in down in verse 5, they send an open letter, an open letter from Sanballat. Sanballat is usually the, the first enemy mentioned in this book of Nehemiah. His previous attempts have failed, and now they use something old. They, they do the oldest trick in the book. They start attacking the leader. If they can't get to the leader by calling him out, they're going to call him out and who he is and what he stands for. And this letter would have been like many of those sent to the churches in the New Testament. It was an open letter. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the church of Philippi or the church at Thessalonica or whatever church it was, that letter transferred between many hands. We read those letters today. It wasn't just a private letter. It was a public letter or open letter, if you will, to the churches. And so Sanballat knew he was going to drag the name, the reputation, the character, everything of Nehemiah through the mud and incite people and things and hopefully sway the king, Artaxerxes, to go against his man, Nehemiah. You know, it's not unlike what the British thought about Americans during the Revolutionary War. The, the, the British often are cited for saying that the, the Americans didn't fight fair. They fought like the natives. They, they, they would shoot officers because they knew if they took down an officer, then the rank and file soldiers would have no clue what to do. They'd scatter. They, they would not be able to defend themselves. That's, that's what it worked like. So Sam Ballot pulls an old trick. Look, on a broader picture and spiritually speaking, if Satan can make a spiritual leader fall, it affects many things and many people. Spiritual leaders, church, and I don't have to tell you this. I'm not begging for your attention through this, nor is any of our staff, but it's a reality for us, is that we are often 
under attack. Not necessarily from people within the church, but by influences, by temptations, by many trials and many snares, as the old song says. And that's why we warn people going into ministry that there is a real season of trials. Yes, governed by the providential, almighty, sovereign God himself, but spiritual warfare tends to rough even the most spiritual people up. And Samballat spreads it even further. He spreads gossip, and he, he starts saying things about Nehemiah. But I want to remind you where we are in this first point. He is being diligent. He, he, he's staying the course. Nehemiah is not throwing in the towel. He says, well, you're just proclaiming yourself king of the Jews. I mean, no one wants to follow someone like that, someone prideful. Sometimes that is true, but the gossip spread because it works. Gossip is like a sweet morsel, Proverbs says. It goes down to the inward parts, and it creates just enough distance between their leader and, and them that the work is no longer has the same energy. But God protects Nehemiah, and God protects the people. Friends, that's why we have to be ready when attacks spiritually come. Part of what we should be careful in doing so is entertaining, even among our own spiritual leaders, about reports about said leaders, except on the witnesses of two or three is what Paul told Timothy. Be careful of accusing your spiritual leaders because you could be doing what Sanballat did here. But he goes further because he wants the king to know about this. He threatens Nehemiah and says, look, if you don't meet with me, I'm going to go to the king in Persia himself. So then he's hoping Persia will look down on Nehemiah in Jerusalem. And it's gossip. It's a false effort to hamper the efforts. It was to cause fear in him and in his people, verse 13 said. It was, Nehemiah doesn't bite on this, but they still won't give up. But he is diligent in doing what he's called to do. They keep trying to shut him down and shut him up, and he will not have it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So Peter tells us that this is something that happens to Christians everywhere. We are to remain vigilant in, in our faith. We are to remain vigilant in standing firm. We are to remain vigilant, not believing every attack that comes our way is, is good, that it's from the enemy. Friend, perhaps the resistance you experience is not the enemy, though, but it's your Savior. Sometimes our greatest resistance is standing in the way of, uh, of a Savior who's standing in the way of our plans to give us something better, almost like the the donkey of, of the false prophet uh, uh, in the Old Testament who stood and would not go any further because he did not want to step where the angel of the Lord was. Maybe God is not the enemies fighting this, but God is standing in your way saying, look, turn around. Balaam's donkey had that happen to him. But friend, I want you to know, as we stand in vigilance together in Christ, no enemies will ever succeed against us. The gates of hell will never prevail. Therefore, be strong and courageous and venture out where God has called you if that's where he has called you to go. That's what Nehemiah teaches us, is to be diligent. Secondly, we need to stay faithful. Stay faithful. You notice as this goes on after Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and all these random people go on, 
it now gets to the very heart of the matter. Now in verse 10, he says, when I went into the house of Shimeiah, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. This was Shimeiah. It's in his home, and he wants them, he, he, he warns them, or Nehemiah, he thinks that, that things are coming. And this is a man of God telling him this. This is why spiritual leaders have to walk very carefully in what they say and how they live and what they come about. This is a prophet who claims to know God, but we'll find out in a few verses that we've already read that he was bribed, he was bought off to get Nehemiah in the temple so he could presumably be killed by some assassin or group of people, whatever it was. And this was a man of God telling him this. Not every person who claims the name of God, who opens a Bible, is of God. It's those who preach and teach according to what the Bible says is what the, the Scriptures say are true speakers. Deuteronomy 18 warns us that if there is a, someone who claims to be from God and they make a prophecy or, or they make a promise of something that God said and it doesn't come to pass, that that person is a false prophet. So be careful. Not everyone who has a preacher or pastor or bishop or reverend or whatever else in front of their name, even chaplain, perhaps, is of God. Be careful. DR period, doesn't matter. Brother, sister, professor, just because they claim to speak for God doesn't mean they are. But it, it's not only his reputation that, that Nehemiah has at stake. Now, now it's his person. And, and the tactic is fear. Look at verse 13. They try to get through him to fear. For this purpose, he was hired. Who? The false prophet. That I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Fear is a great weapon in the hands of Satan. Fear of failure. Fear of reputation. Fear of success even for some people. Fear of accusation. Fear of gossip. Fear of the unknown. The list goes on. But Nehemiah remains faithful. He remains uh, he remains very faithful to the task because he knows there are attacks to discourage him, but he stays the course. Fear makes us do wrong things. Abram, in Genesis uh, 19 and 20, lied about his wife, Sarah, being his sister when it was his wife. Saul, in the Old Testament, King Saul, was fearful of the timing of Samuel coming back and offered sacrifices and lost the kingship and literally his mind as a result. Peter, in fear, said, God, I will never, or, or he denied Jesus three times, but in a breath before said, well, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will never deny you. Yet in fear, he did. Nehemiah knows this, and he doesn't bite. Only a priest was able to go into the holy place. Did you notice that? The, the priest invites him in and, and says, you can come with me. When pastors start bending the rules and think they're above the rules or any person in authority, things always go wrong. Nehemiah could have understood out of fear. He could have said, Lord, I know you want to preserve my life, and this man speaks for you, so I'll go with him. But Nehemiah wouldn't violate the law of God out of fear. He would not go in a place he was not called to go. And it's not the absence of fear, but remaining faithful in the midst of fear that proves our character more than anything else before a holy God. The bravest of spiritual leaders are people who struggle with fear. But what's the difference? They let their faithfulness overshadow their doubts. They stay the course. They stay in the race. They stay faithful. And by God's grace and His endurance, they endure to the end because the Spirit is leading them in that task. 
So how do you combat fear? One way to do it here is to stay faithful in the moment. To seek to be faithful. Seek to do what God has said. You don't know what to do in your life right now? Well, open up your Bible and start reading. Start praying. Just sing a song to God. That doesn't mean you're super spiritual. That just means you're trying to get where God would have you be. Look, you can't control the opposition. But the trajectory of the New Testament isn't how soon can I get out of this messy, evil world, but rather, when will Jesus return to his beloved, broken creation and finish making all things new? The first question, when will God take me out of here, leads to fear and disengagement. The second question, when will Jesus return to make all things new, is a matter of hope and sacrificial mission. Look, if we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, we might lose our minds. But he is upon his throne, therefore we will not fear, especially when the enemy comes against us. Look, Joseph did not endure the pit. Joseph of the Old Testament didn't endure Potiphar's house and prison all those years because he knew he'd end up in Pharaoh's palace. He simply remained faithful wherever he found himself, and God did the rest. This is why Nehemiah prays, as he's trying to remain faithful in verse 9, he says, strengthen my hands, O God. Help, in other words, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me not to turn to the left. Help me not to turn to the right, but Lord, let me walk in wisdom before you. Seeking to be faithful today requires a lot of fighting fear in the same day. Friend, we are to do these things, and we are to be vigilant. We are to remain faithful. But thirdly, I want you to see that we are to remain focused on what ultimately matters. Remain focused on what ultimately matters. It's easy to get caught up in the fears, the battles, and the attacks but I think these two sections that follow chapter 6 leading into chapter 7 is what matters is not us, but what matters are two things. And we'll unpack those in this third point, these subpoints. What matters are people and worship. People and worship. All these enduring attacks, as far as they go, bless people and encourage worship. Let's unpack that. Again, we did not read chapter 7 in its entirety, but he, uh, chapter 7 follows because of this. There's a list of census. This is also included in Ezra 2. But all this leading and doing was to serve people. They were to serve God's people. And all of our busyness in this fight, in this world, is really all about people. Not just people to serve them, that's part of it, but to share the gospel with them. And look, if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, non-Christian friend, the gospel is simply this. We are unholy. We have sinned. We have rebelled against uh, the mighty God of the universe. And we deserve judgment. But God, in His grace, sent forth His one and only Son, whose name is Jesus, the Christ. And He came down from heaven and took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death where you and I should have been. And on that cross, Jesus said those famous words, John 19, 30, it is finished. What's finished? All the payment for your sin and my sin was laid on Jesus. The wrath of God was taken by him. And Jesus died. And like all of us, he was buried. But three days later, three literal days later, Jesus literally, bodily, physically came back from the grave and conquered death once and for all. And he ascended to heaven. He went back to heaven. And he's coming again. What the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God over your head. 
saved from your sins, forgiven and washed clean of everything you've done, past, present, and future. But Christians, we often forget that. That when the hard times come, when the attacks come, our focus goes away from people and onto the issue. This often gets lost. All the programs, all the meetings and ministries mean nothing if it doesn't serve the people. As we're recording this, we will soon be embarking on a uh, capital improvement in our building with our nursery to be ready, Lord willing, when the time comes, whatever it looks like, that when we can open our nursery, preschool, younger elementary school area again, it'll be brand spanking new for some updates we've needed to do for some time. But often, what often gets lost, though, is in the midst of building projects, in the midst of ministry, we focus on the task. We focus on the things. And I'm guilty as that as any. But our numbers and our budgets often become more important than the people they're called to serve. But they only matter if we truly serve people. Look, building programs and Satan's attacks can be all-consuming. What do I mean? People and money become a means to serving the money. And, and, and these things have their place. But friends, may we never forget that whatever we do in this Christian life ultimately is about glorifying God, yes, but the people he's blessed us with as well. The non-Christians to hear the gospel and Christians to be encouraged and, and brought up and grown in the Lord. I mean, Nehemiah could have lost sight of what matters, but he didn't. The wall only mattered because the people mattered. And whatever we do for the kingdom of God only matters if it benefits God's people. You can, you can do a, a ton of things for the church, but if it's not investing in God's people, the question is, what does that have to do with it? Only one thing lasts in this world for eternity, and that is the souls of people going to all eternity. We invest in people. Walls won't live forever, but people will. So he's being, he's being very faithful. He's, he's being very determined to stay the course. He's focusing on what really matters, people. But I want you to see the second thing he focuses on as we uh, look to land this plane is that they are free to worship. They are free to worship. Look, the walls were rebuilt to have safety and security and, and to bring back that sense of normalcy to the life of the people. But even greater... Those walls were built so the people could have a chance to worship God. When Nehemiah came back to build the walls, it wasn't about a social program, but a worship program. When he rebuilt the walls, it was to encourage worship and to bring others with him so that Jerusalem would once again be a light to the nations. And he ends with noting, and at the end of chapter 7, I just encourage you to read it, that, 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 there, that what was given to the treasury there was divisions of gatekeepers and priests and singers and so on and so forth. Why? Because after listing all the people that matter in chapter 7, he ends with this. Walls were rebuilt to encourage worship. The walls existed for worship. The nation existed for worship. And I want to be clear here, and I need to be careful with what I'm about to say, but, but you, can't, you, you can worship God anywhere, right? You can worship your God uh, you know, driving down icy roads on the highway, praying, Lord, help me not to spin out here on these cars and fishtail and have a wreck. You can worship God on a roller coaster at World of Fun. You can worship God on a forklift at your job. You can worship God in any situation you find yourself. But there's also a place where God has called us to be within the local community of believers. That, as we said in our big idea we should never underestimate spiritual warfare. 
and the work of the enemy to keep us from gathered worship. This pandemic has really sliced through this in recent times. But Christian, I want to remind you, these videos, drive-in church, all these things are but an asterisk, a temporary band-aid, a crutch to help us in times like this. They're not the end game. God calls us to not forsake, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, the gathering of the saints of God and to encourage each other until the day comes. Why? Because Nehemiah knew that he existed for worship. Nehemiah knew that the people who mattered existed for worship. And he also knew that the place that God had designated, the temple, the walls, the holy city of Jerusalem, existed for worship. Our church here at Tower View, I want to remind you that we as a body exist for worship. This is what matters, giving glory to God who created us, each in our place and position as we are able. We will continue to fight the good fight. The war has been secured in Christ. It's done. Nothing can take us or snatch us out of his hand. Our salvation is secure, but we need to seek to be vigilant. We need to seek to be faithful. We need to seek to maintain what ultimately matters, people and worship. And this was his great building plan that God had for Nehemiah. And it was accomplished 52 days physically, but he knew that the work spiritually would go on. And we're going to see the lapse of that as we go forth, as Nehemiah visits in later years. But as we close, let me just give you a quick word about three defenses against spiritual warfare. Three things you can do, you can, you can hold on to against spiritual warfare. And I want to remind you of these and Nehemiah doesn't unpack these for us, but they're broad principles from Scripture, but here they are. The first defense against spiritual warfare is faith. That sounds so easy to say, but when your heart has embraced the truth of Scripture and, and, and the way you interpret life is structured by that interpretation, it's harder for you to be deceived by Satan's lies. When you're focused on who God is and what he's done for you and what he's called you to do, what he's called you to be, all these little attacks, big attacks, whatever attacks come your way, really get put into focus. Secondly, not only have faith against spiritual warfare in defense, but you have hope. When your responses to this fallen world are shaped by a gospel hope in the right here, in the right now presence, and promises and power of Christ, you have reason to hope in the face of the enemy's hopelessness and his lies. Why? Because, guys, he's with us. That's why. And the last one won't surprise you either. Three defenses against spiritual warfare, faith, hope, and of course, you know the last one, don't you? It starts with an L, it's love. When you're in a community, a church community, a local body, and you have come under membership of that church that is active, self-sacrificing, and tries to, as, as it says in the Scripture, to outdo one another in love, you are less susceptible, susceptible to the lie that God has left you unloved and all alone. Nehemiah knew his greatest defense, his greatest purpose, his greatest strength was not found in himself, wasn't found in the walls that were built. It was found in the God which, in whom he served. Christians seek to be faithful. Seek to be vigilant and maintain what ultimately matters. That's what it's all about. But the greatest lie Satan will tell you, Christian, is that you don't need to be gathered with other Christians. Look, I'm going to be very practical here. I know for some of us right now, that's, that, that's not even a possibility. I get that. But church members especially, we have, we, we've tried to really 
just, just drum up uh, encouragement for this. The, the daily prayer calendar, we've put out this before, but especially in the pandemic where we're praying for three or four families or individuals of all walks of life in our church, you need to get on that bandwagon and pray. One of the greatest ways to stay connected with other people is to pray for them and be a part of this with them as we do. Let's join together in prayer, and we'll close from there. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Father, as Nehemiah looked over the landscape of those, those several months between the time he talked to the king and the time the wall was built, it literally was a testimony of your faithfulness. Yet, Lord, we know beyond anything else that this man was a frail sinner just like us. Yet, Lord, you called him to remain vigilant, to stay faithful, to focus on what really mattered, those people, and, and worship. But, Lord, in the midst of that, you called him to fight back with faith, hope, and love. Why? So that they would not miss the gathered worship that was theirs in, in, in you, Lord, and ultimately for all of us, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every color, every race, every person who's called upon the name of Christ, someday we will be in that community. Lord, I pray for those today who are struggling with the, the truth of the gospel to see it lived out in these days, who are fearful, more of a virus than they are of you. Father, give us grace and wisdom in these days, but Lord, may we never forsake the assembling together. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Again, my name is Darren Smith, senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. On behalf of all of us, thank you for joining us. Again, if you're not a Christian, wow, thank you so much for hanging out with us this, during this time, studying with us. But we really do pray that you would drop us a message, you'd call us, you'd go to our website, towerviewkc.com, whatever it is, because we want you to know that we love you, we care for you, and we ultimately want to share with you the greatest desire we have is that you turn from your sin and trust the Savior, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, if we can pray for you or anything else, please let us know. On behalf of our church, have a great day. God bless. And at least if you're listening to this when it's recorded, stay warm and uh, do your best not to uh, do anything crazy in these cold days. Guys, we love you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.